0: On their arrival, it's almost unspeakable. We are all evil. the I'm not you. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Something, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello! Ha
1: This is the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. And we're
0: upbeat this morning. We're coming to you live from, well not live, I guess it's not live. <laughs> we're alive. We're alive, but we're in a new studio space. Yes, that's why we're so upbeat. <laughs> it's so nice in here. I know, I feel like too professional. Uh... Like,
1: Like, how did I get here?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I drove here. (laughs) Wow. Wee Herman (laughs) life over there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, we got this beautiful new studio space thanks to Tiff, our sound gal, doing an awesome job. Yes. It's very, I'm sure there's going to be pictures up eventually (laughs) for you all to scope on, but it gave us a renewed energy to come back and talk about murder. Mm-hmm. Well, sort of. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you'll we're going what, to anyway. you see what but... we mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If this is your first time uh, listening, a special hello to you. Uh, we've got another great show for you today. But first, let's head over to the newsroom. Fit to breathe our
1: food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had
0: 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes. But if the way it's supposed to be, we know that... So, this one comes from Wilson, North Carolina. This, I'll tell you, let me tell you what this um, title of the article is, because this is why I was interested in it, but things are not always as they seem. Okay. It's from WARL.com. Wilson man charged with impersonating officer after stopping police chase. Which you think, what? Why would they do that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> is this in Florida? <laughs> no, it's in Wilson, North Carolina. North Carolina. Okay. North Carolina. Yeah, because so, it sounds very Floridian. <laughs> so there was, on October 5th, uh, officers stopped a vehicle at a food mart. Sure. It says the Food Mart. I think Food Mart is like... The only Food Mart. (laughs) Um, They were searching for a possible murder suspect, but the vehicle, it had five men in it. It stopped for the officers and then fled. So there's this police chase going on when a black Ford Taurus with blue lights drove past, got in front of the suspect vehicle, slowed down, forcing the vehicle to be pinned between the Taurus and the front police car, So then the police officers were like trying to do a felony traffic stop and the owner of the tourist got out and ordered the suspect uh, like out of the vehicle at gunpoint. And then he handcuffed the driver after he got him out of the vehicle and started searching him. So police are like, what is going on? (laughs) Who the fuck are you? (laughs) Well, and if he was a police officer, like they didn't know his credentials. There wasn't any anything. So they ordered him to stop, but he left before they were able to talk to him. Later, um, it was determined that the man whose name is 30 year old David Adams Jr. was not a Law enforcement officer, just, <laughs> a, guy. Yes, just a guy. Yeah, just a guy. With a gun. <laughs> and so he was charged with impersonating an officer and was arrested. So the occupants of the vehicle were arrested. They were all charged on various there was like misdemeanor possession of marijuana, open liquor, um, felony fleeing, schedule two drug possession, and misdemeanor possession of marijuana. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of that. But that's one of those things where I was like, what? The this good Samaritan was just like helping the police in this police chase. But really, he also had a gun and used it along and, with handcuffs. And pointed at a human. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was helpful, but also not right, he's making a <laughs> citizen's arrest. I guess that's what it seems like. It yeah. was a very I was like, that's super weird.
1: Did it he ever state that he was a police officer <clears throat> in the entire like transaction that was happening? No,
0: I don't, it didn't sound okay. like it. If so he they did, they didn't like, say it, but hey, why yeah, are he you just got out that
1: gentleman down, <laughs> yeah,
0: he just got out, ordered the the people in the vehicle out of their car, and then arrested them. Huh. kind of a, like is that like a citizens arrest maybe? Yeah. I don't know.
1: I just if you make a citizens arrest, you have to yell citizens arrest.
0: Citizens arrest. Citizens arrest. <laughs> you have to do it. Yeah, I I don't know. It's a weird weird thing. Moving right along to Netflix and Kill. Today we are talking about The Devil Next Door. Mm-hmm. As we record this, it's not out, but it will be out by the time this episode say, comes out. Yeah. I have not heard this. No. So, <laughs> the, oh my god, it looks so good. It's a very interesting tale of Nazis. Uh, injury. <laughs> and war crime. We
1: love war crimes. I mean, yes. we don't love war crimes.
0: <laughs> so, the whole story is about this man named John Demjanjuk, who is... Bless you. <laughs> I know. I'm surprised I got that in one. You <laughs> Um, But he was an American citizen, I believe, who was originally from the Ukraine. But he is accused of being Ivan the Terrible from World War II. Okay. And is brought to trial in Israel. Okay. Okay. So that's the whole premise that's for the that documentary. Up, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. There is a lot of, as they present it in the trailer, because I have not watched it, but I will be when it comes out. There is a lot of weird things like involvement from the KGB um, Mm -hmm. and the KGB giving their investigative files to the U.S. and the U.S. using those to, like, bring him in for extradition, which is a little, like... Eh. And he was just, at the time, a guy living in the United States with a family. He was an auto salesman, I think. I mean, just like a regular run-of-the-mill dude who his kids don't believe that he is Ivan the Terrible. A lot of people didn't believe that he was Ivan the Terrible. Mm -hmm. So he gets brought to trial. There's a lot of (laughs) hinky, like, international... I don't want to say espionage, but weird dealings, <laughs> weird dealings, and a possible misaccusation. He did get convicted. I think this is this whole thing is very, 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 very complicated. Um, he was, yeah, he was convicted in 2011 in Germany, and so there's a lot. I was trying to do like a brief history, but my goodness yeah it's not so brief yeah because um, even the conviction in, in Germany it was as an accessory to the murder of 28,060 Jews while acting as a guard at the Sobibor extermination <laughs> camp in occupied Poland so like that's just I'm a little taste that. <laughs>
1: I, don't, I don't know you like sounded it out So I appreciate Be-bor. it <laughs> Sobibor I I was just listening to a Behind the Bastards. No, it wasn't a Behind the Bastards. It was the worst year ever.
0: Same people I love that show.
1: Um, And they were talking about how the news media calls Ukraine the Ukraine, the Ukraine. Yeah, and they like it's just it's Ukraine, right? (laughs) Yeah. Why do we not do that to any other place on the face of the planet, like the China?
0: Yeah. Or. The well, the Germany, the Germany, the <laughs> Ireland, the Italy, like that's true. Makes sense. The United States
1: does it a little bit. Yes. like you can, but most people just say the U.S. or United States.
0: Yeah, or the Americas. Yeah, but I just thought you said the did, did I say crane, the Ukraine. Yeah, and I was like, oh, see, now at, we, at this point, it's it been bred into <laughs> right? me you can't to just not say, say that. the yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is going to be on Netflix the devil next door check it out if you like war crimes maybe. <laughs> Again, if we you, do we do not if you enjoy learning about or war, condone war crimes on this podcast no we don't, no we don't. No we don't. <laughs> okay let's get on to our episode Janelle. Yes, vicky are you prepared are you prepared? You've I been, am prepared. You've been selecting some humdinger of episode. Humdigger? <laughs> humdigger of episode topics recently. Yes. I, because grad
1: school, mm-hmm. I did my due diligence and pre-planned all of my episodes so months in advance. Yes. And then I get to it and I'm like, I wrote this
0: like a long time ago. I don't remember it. So... It'll this be like just discovering as, it the first time. <laughs> just as fresh for you as it is for me.
1: Yeah. So uh, for my selection, I decided to kind of look more into Jane Doe and John Doe's and the history behind it and why we use those names and some interesting cases. So I spent a lot of time on the Doe Network, which is a really great resource. Um, and it's where I got most of my information but the term John Doe Jane Doe comes out of an English practice that has to do with a British legal process called action of ejectment. This is very complicated. So I, I mean was going to say kudos like, to
0: you for like looking into this because I uh, like in my pre research for this mm-hmm. episode I was kind of doing some back research and was like, what? It's very <laughs> I complicated. I don't get it. This
1: is like the cliff notes of the abridged, cliff notes of yeah. cliff notes version of, of what an action of ejectment is. If you want to look into it, go for it. But um, if you're confused by U.S. law, you're going to be super duper confused by British
0: law. British law is like law on a whole other level.
1: I mean, they were flipping wigs so... <laughs> Still <laughs> yeah. in 2019. It is, it is all kinds of complications. So according to English common law, landowners could take legal action against squatters or defaulting tenants but often that would be too difficult to bring to court so landlords instead would bring an action of ejectment on behalf of a fictitious tenant against another fictitious person who had allegedly evicted or ousted them again super duper mf and complicated
0: so it's so what i gather from that mm-hmm. it was just instead of naming the people they just did two fictitious
1: yes so, like, anonymous yeah. suits. So, in order to figure out what rights to the property the made-up person had, <laughs> the courts first had to establish that the landlord really was the owner of the property, which settled his real reason for action without him having to jump through, like, a bunch of legal hoops. So, the name John Doe or Richard Roe was another one, would often be used in these cases. Now, I'm sure you've heard Roe before. Uh, Roe versus Wade. That is another fictitious person. Right. But there's also a whole bevy of other names that are used in various countries. And we hear Doe a lot, but one of the ones that I found that was really funny to me was Joe Blogs. Yeah. That's what's most commonly used in, like, Australia and New Zealand, so... Yes, I would suggest Joe looking Boggs. up the <laughs> the insane list of John Doe's They're in other really countries. Weird, it's yeah. like some really fucking weird stuff. Yeah. But the most common one you'll see is some
0: variant of Doe, yeah. baby Doe, child Doe, John I will Jane. say a lot of times when you're talking in like legal descriptors for case titles and I think it might have been with the Roe v. Wade case it might have been a different one but they have the you know Roe v. Wade is like the shortened version of the title Yeah, they have ones where they are naming out various anonymous defendants and it'll be things like Mary Mm -hmm. Moe Patty Poe like I mean they'll just do that OE it's just yeah it's so it's silly it's nonsense it is yes but I mean, it's a good way to stay anonymous.
1: Yeah, but as I was looking into this, I came across some statistics that were like, ah, fuck, and made me like
0: <laughs> really want to be like,
1: goddamn it, Janelle. Yeah, <laughs> why'd you pick this? But according to the Doe Network, there are approximately forty thousand unidentified persons at any given time. So it kind of fluctuates a little bit. But that's like that is the a number. whole hell of a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, the Doe Network is not really. In the business of solving crimes, instead, their like entire objective is to maintain and obtain data on missing person cases, and they employ a lot of help from armchair detectives like ourselves. Yes. And pretty much everything that I got from this case, I got from the Doe Network and NamUs. Um, but if you go on the Doe Network and you look up cases, it links it to every other missing person website that that missing person is on yeah so the doe network is a little bit more of an all-encompassing website
0: yeah they're really good about like referencing where their information came from but also mm-hmm. linking to like like the Facebook pages sometimes too oh, like yeah. where like the community information is gathering and all that kind of stuff they're pretty good about that
1: so I decided to select a case that's been kind of dubbed in the press as the Carbon County Beth Doe case. I don't know why they chose Beth as this person's first name, but they decided to call it Beth Doe. So, that's what I will refer to her as. So, on December 20th, 1976, in Carbon County, Pennsylvania, near Whitehaven, three suitcases were discovered discarded
0: on the side of Interstate Route 80 near Exit 273. I'm having flashbacks every single time we're just like, when you see garbage bags or suitcases... Yes. You already know.
1: Suitcases for me is a huge indicator that you're hiding something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hmm, three suitcases dumped on the side of the road. Yeah. So it was a 14-year-old boy who came across the suitcases, which is like, Fuck.
0: Oh, my God. We don't know what's in them yet, but I can guarantee you this shit's going to be traumatizing. It's not toys
1: and candy. Yeah. So upon opening one of the suitcases, he uncovered remains of a woman. The suitcases are approximately twenty-three inches by fourteen inches by seven and a half inches deep, so you know your standard kind of carry-on size suitcase. Yeah, yeah, two were a solid blue color with a red, white, and dark blue stripe across the front of it, kind of like very French flag vibes, um, and the other one was a dark blue and tan plaid pattern with uh, like leather around the edges. And I put a picture in here for you so you can kind of see. Yeah.
0: They're really tiny suitcases. Yeah, they are not like the big massive ones that you no. use when you're like packing for two people, if you're like packing for 3 weeks or something. Yeah, this is like you carry take on. it on a plane carry-on. Yeah.
1: So inside the suitcases, police also found straw, dry packing foam, a cut-up chenille bedspread, six sections of the New York Sunday News with the date September 26, 1976 on it. The chenille bedspread was most likely originally pink in color, but it appears more now with the worn and dirty condition that it's like rust or coral colored. I put a picture of
0: it below, too. Yeah. It definitely looks aged, for sure. um, The
1: bedspread did have embroidered yellow flowers on it, too, and you can kind of see them in the picture a little bit, and Mm -hmm. um, hopefully we can put some of these up, or at least the link where I found it. But... Looking at the pictures on the Doe Network website, the blanket, to me, didn't look like a bedspread. It looked more like a couch throw or something that you would just kind of, like, put over the edge of a, you know, a chair or something. Yeah. It was really small and very thin and embroidered. Okay. Even in 1976, I don't think that that really qualifies as a So, not so much for utility,
0: <laughs> but more for, like, decoration. decoration. Yeah.
1: So... Take a look at it. Yeah. But I don't know. I didn't... It reminded me of something that my grandmother had on her... Totally. On her chair. Totally. So I was like, that doesn't look like a bedspread to me. Yeah. The suitcases also had uh, the handles removed, and it appeared that the zippers, they tried to paint over them to keep them shut. So there was, like, black enamel paint over top of the zippers, which is weird, That's a
0: weird method. Like, of all the things to try to, like put around the outside enamel black paint paint does not seem right glue the first yeah exactly glue or like silicone yeah i know you could get silicone yeah caulk i know you could get that in the 70s like yeah (laughs) that was around in the 70s
1: (laughs) so the (laughs) the interior of the suitcase had all that stuff but also a bunch of dismembered body parts of a woman oh yep Um, They were wrapped in the bedspread. The police estimated that her age was between 15 and 25 years old. So it's kind of a broad, broad age gap there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The body had marks upon the neck and a gunshot wound in the neck, which led the investigators to believe that she had been strangled and then shot.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, Her nose, ears, and breasts had been removed with what appeared to have been a knife with a serrated edge, so like your standard kitchen knife for cutting up vegetables. Yeah.
0: Oh, God, that's gross. Yes. That's
1: gross. Um, I don't think we did our disclaimer, but it's too late now.
0: (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. There were letters all and... times for me to forget to do that. And it's I'm like, fine. oh, as I'm
1: reading it, I'm like, it's we fine. never said I caution. I didn't realize. It's fine.
0: <laughs> you know what you're listening to, Yes, guys. I was just so excited about the new recording space. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
1: so- <laughs> uh, there were also letters and numbers written on her left hand in ink. You know, very standard middle school drawing on your hand. The color of the ink couldn't really be determined, but there was a very apparent WSR, and then next to that was either the number 4 or 5. Below and to the right was another number, and they were guessing it was either a four or a seven. So, immediately, police were like, This sounds like a license plate. Yeah. So, they checked license plates, nothing came up. They decided to also check CB call signs because it was the 70s and everyone had a ham radio. Literally,
0: everybody. <laughs> Literally, everyone.
1: Yes. So, they checked CB call signals and didn't find anything either. The ink on her hand would have been anywhere between eight to twelve hours old, so she had had it on
0: her hand for a long time. Are they so are they able to determine that because of like how much it had absorbed into the skin? I think or? so.
1: okay. How much it was into the skin and yeah. how long she had been dead because I imagine if you're dead, it will not absorb anymore, right. yeah, <laughs> true, true. Beth Doe had no other defining marks or jewelry on her. She didn't have an ID, a purse, nothing. Um, She was also carrying an almost full-term baby at the time of her death. Wow. There were also signs that she had been sexually assaulted prior to her death. Oh, my gosh. So there's all, like, all the things happening at once here. When I read that she was pregnant, that was, like, the last thing they stated. And I'm like, that's kind of, like, an important key thing, I would think. Yeah most people don't murder pregnant women
0: yeah so i hate to ask this <laughs> okay but was the unborn baby also like with her in the suitcase like she hadn't i believe so okay i don't think that they cut the torso at all yeah but they took
1: the arms and then it was and just like dismembering of her off. body yeah, yeah. yeah okay yeah. so and it didn't say anything about any sort of other stab wounds or markings just the ligature marks around her neck and the gunshot wound in her neck as well okay okay so dental records revealed that she had suffered extensive dental disease resulting in three extractions multiple restorations and she still had extensive tooth decay at the time of her death she was like really must have been in pain because there was a fracture to her upper right lateral incisor and that would have been very noticeable and she would have been in a great deal of pain yeah um there was some uh serious dna testing done on her bones these tests stated she did not really spend a lot of time in the us so they did this in 2007 they uh dug her back up they determined that she was probably from Eastern Central Europe before coming to the United States. Okay. And then that she had moved around a great deal once she had gotten here. So, between Pens- Pennsylvania, Texas, and Virginia. Okay. So, I'll go into a little bit detail later how they did that and the process of that. Sure. But they determined that she was moving around a lot. Yeah. There mm. was a sketch made uh, after her death. It now... <laughs> I have issues with these sketches right um her facial features had to be reconstructed as they weren't really recognizable because they did a number on her yeah the sketch i put two of them the first one was the first sketch that was released right after her death on the the left side that was the first sketch done it was immediately released after her death uh her fingerprints were also ran but they found no hits now they laid the body to rest in 1983 After they could not find any identification and no one stepped forward. So she was buried at the borough of Weatherly in the Lorrytown Road Cemetery. And they like described it as being backed up to a Christmas tree farm. So that was like you know, this picturesque area that she was buried. And I'm like, that's unnecessary. Yeah, okay, right. (laughs) So like I said, in 2007, they did exhume her uh, remains to do additional forensic testing. And that's when they did a more professional facial reconstruction digitally. And then they conducted what is called an isotope analysis test on her remains. And that's where they got information about her moving around. So the isotope analysis What it does is it basically traces all of these different minerals and things that you have ingested over a period of time, basically your entire life, and they can run the analysis against water tests in different areas to determine where you were living, what water you were consuming. Right, So that's how they were able to tell that she was bouncing around between Pennsylvania and Texas and Virginia and all over the place. That's interesting. Right? That's fucking weird. Just the Um, stuff
0: that you're ingesting can tell a whole story about (laughs) your life gross. Yeah. I don't want them to know <laughs> that story.
1: But if you look at the picture between the first race, the racial the facial reconstruction and the second one. Yeah. There's They're a significant difference. Yeah. In the first one she looks like she's a different ethnicity. Yeah. Then the second one she looks yeah. considerably more white in the second one. Um, the first one she's like looks indigenous. Yes. Yeah. Um, The hair is like very different which is
0: strange yeah, because forehead too
1: yeah like the forehead the eyes are very wide in the first one the nose is wide but i just love how they made the mouth in the second one
0: it's like <laughs> like this like i don't care like like, uh, like what yeah. are you looking it's at like a half of? hung like half hanging open yeah so like yeah
1: i mean it's easy to be like okay well no wonder they couldn't fucking figure out Who this person was because the interpretation of their features is vastly different.
0: Yeah, and even these two like could still not be anywhere near, right? What they look like, like totally two they different people. They had the <laughs> same issue too. I know we talked about this with the Princess Doe mm-hmm. case where it was just like so much damage to the bone structure of the face. Yeah. That even the reconstruction that they put together is like is that accurate, you
1: know? Yeah, and too like in that case they were kind of aware of that, so that's why they pressed so heavily on the clothing she was wearing right. and where she was right. last. Because that person, whoever killed her, obliterated her face. Yeah. So there was about a dozen women that investigators kind of thought were possibly Beth Doe. And they're from all over the place. There was Anastasias Beniscas of Australia, Iris Brown of Vermont, Valerie Cuccia of New York, Teresa Fitton of Florida, Trenny Gibson of Tennessee, Rory Kessinger of Massachusetts, Anna Leatherwood of Tennessee, Georgia Nolan of Kentucky, Sherry Roach of California, Mary Robinson of New York, and Patricia Saulbaugh of Pennsylvania, and then Denise Sheehy of New York. All of these cases are like open missing women investigations. And that
0: is like truly all over the place. All over
1: the place. Um, That's why that isotope analysis test was so key because they could determine like, okay,
0: at least eliminate some of those possibilities. Um,
1: There was one case, however, pretty recently, September of 2019. uh, A tip came into investigators that led them on the closest lead they had had since the discovery of Doe in 1975. The tip to the police was given by an individual who had gone to school with a woman named Maggie Cruz. Okay. Now... The resemblance of the reconstruction of Beth Doe in the first picture was the one that this person looked at and stated that that looked like Maggie Cruz. Mm-hmm. She had spent time in Massachusetts, the latter of which she was in Farmingham, and she resided there in a foster home for a great deal of time. Around 1974, at the age of 16, she had run away to Terrytown with her foster sister. They returned after a week. In the summer of 1976, she called a friend to request money, claiming that she was pregnant.
0: Okay.
1: After the story went public, though, Maggie Cruz came forward and said, Hey guys, I'm still oh. alive.
0: <laughs> okay. So after. Did she come forward because they were like putting out the, in the news that they were looking for her? Or they were. There was to... a huge.
1: Not even that they were looking for her, that they were looking for people who knew Maggie Cruz to see if this story could be plausible. Okay. She had, after calling to state that she was pregnant to her friend, ran away for a second time and was not heard from again since 1976. Okay. To any of her family members or anything. Wow. And, of course, she was in foster care, though, so those were, like, extended family members that she probably really didn't have connections with. Yeah. Um, But the pictures that they put in the newspaper are the ones that I listed here, and they do look like the first picture. Oh, yeah.
0: They absolutely look like that first rendering.
1: The issue, though, however, was the isotope analysis test. That's why it was kind of raised, like, maybe this isn't her, because they were close to identifying where exactly she had come from, and they determined that it was from Europe. So Maggie Cruz was not born in Europe, and she is not European.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: um, there's a little debate of whether or not to take the isotope tests so seriously, but, I mean, that sounds pretty legit to me in terms of the water data that they collected on her. Yeah, yeah. They do keep saying that they're very close to identifying Beth Doe, especially with that isotope information. They have really pinpointed all of the locations in the last, I think it was 10 years of her life, to determine like where she had moved around. Yeah. So if the findings are correct, Beth Doe was born and spent her early childhood in Western or Central Europe. She then moved to the United States as a child or early teenager, spent at least five to ten years in the U.S. before her murder. She also most likely became pregnant while she was in the U.S., and she probably lived in the southeast, possibly somewhere in eastern Tennessee, for the longest amount of time. Okay, I'm going to leave the NamUs description so you can kind of uh, get a little bit of an idea. And um, if you have information, you know, contact NamUs or the Doe Network. Beth Doe was between 15 and 25 years old, white female, 4'11 to 5'4", 140 to 150 pounds, hair color brown, eye color brown. She had a five and a half inch scar on her left leg just above the heel and a 2-inch scar on her left calf. She had a circular small mole above her left eye and a mole on her left cheek, Um, and her blood type was a type O. And they also stated that most of those moles probably started showing up after she had gotten pregnant, so they were like new marks to her.
0: Is that a thing that happens? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: You get more freckles, you get more moles. I didn't know that. Yep, all the hormonal things. Oh, great. So if you have any information about Beth Doe or anyone you might think uh, fits that description, contact NamUs or the Doe Network at their respective websites.
0: So I chose the case of El Dorado Jane Doe for a lot of reasons that will become clear. It's not... (laughs) Okay. To me, it's not like your typical jane doe case but in this case i will refer to her as as jane doe because obviously her identity is still unknown mm-hmm. well, um, that's a long el dorado el dorado jane doe, doe. yes <laughs> um, and this is el dorado arkansas in case not even wondering. in the south <laughs> nope. southwest okay cool nope. yeah el dorado <laughs> arkansas so on july 10th in 1991 a woman's body was found at the Whitehall motel in el dorado when she was found, she had Arkansas identification and a social security card saying her name was Cheryl Ann Wick. And so police obviously began the work of locating her family members to notify them that she had been found. But to their surprise, when they rang the phone number, they they had gotten... Cheryl Ann Wick herself answered <laughs> the minute. phone. Yeah. Um she was alive and well and at home. And she also said that she did not know uh the victim that possessed her ID. And so police believe that this was a case of stolen identity. Mm -hmm. And so they started trying to look a little deeper into her background. They found that she went by many aliases, including Cheryl Wick, sometimes with a C, sometimes with an S. Sharon Wiley, Kelly Carr, Cheryl Kaufman, Shannon Wiley, and Mercedes. And Mercedes is what? Just Mercedes. Just Mercedes. (laughs) And Mercedes is what a lot of, like in a lot of these articles, people refer to her as. Mm-hmm. Um, because it sounds that's, like a dancer name. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, is we're going with this? Okay. Yes, it is. So when police found her, they also found a Bible in her belongings with several names written on it. Willie James Stroud, Sharon Yvette Stroud, LaDonna Elaine Stroud, Johnny Lee Stroud, Viola Elizabeth Ross Stroud, Donna Jean Stroud, Bobby Jones Stroud, and Willie James Dantzler Sr. These like a family tree? (laughs) Well, after they looked into these names, they discovered that this is an African-American family living in Irving, Texas, and they think that Jane Doe had stayed with this family at some point um, okay. for like a time not just she like bought a bible from a goodwill and all those names were written in it no which <laughs> okay. you would think right that's I think now more common My, because of things like this the head went there <laughs> yeah but no they they found that it was a family they were all still alive I mean it wasn't like anything nefarious but that mm-hmm. she had stayed with them for a while what started to emerge was a story of this relationship gone wrong when it was discovered that Jane Doe had been living at the Whitehall Motel with her boyfriend and alleged pimp, James McAlphin. Uh, the motel itself was in like this part of town that was really considered kind of the bad, seedy part of town, mm-hmm. and the motel itself was known for drugs and sex work, have a couple of those around here <laughs> we do yes um they are not hard to spot nope <laughs> oh, gosh um, just cringe okay. a little bit thinking, yes. i, think I you know exactly like, oh, which God, one i'm yeah. talking about Yep. <laughs> their relationship uh had a history of abuse often sometimes sending jane doe to the emergency room with injuries that she had received from mcalfin and she had even told police, like she had, she had been there so many times that police were getting concerned about mm. their relationship. Obviously, because she was not like lying to the ER people when she went in. In June of 1991, finally, she had decided that enough was enough and left McAlphin, moving in with her friend Andrea Cooksey, who did an interview with HuffPost regarding the El Dorado Jane Doe. Of her friendship with Jane Doe, she said, quote, I met Mercedes at a club and we became friends. She said that she used to be a stripper and was from out of town. She told me her and her mother didn't get along and that her mama was raising her two kids. I know she had said the one was a girl, but I can't remember what she said the other one was. Cooksey also recalled Jane Doe being afraid of McAlphin, saying, quote, "...we had been living together about a month when he called Mercedes and told her he was going to kill her. She had been seeing another man, and he wasn't happy," end quote. The last time she remembers McAlphin calling was on a night in July 1991, when he called to tell her that he'd promised to give her money if she came to his motel room." And according to Cooksey, Jane Doe had wanted to go to get the money to use it to send gifts to her children. And so she left and started walking to the motel to meet up with McAlphin, where the two got into an argument that had been witnessed by another guest, a man named Roy Charles Menon. Menon told police he had gone to the room to retrieve some cassette tapes that McAlphin... I know, this totally aged the story for me, because I was like, oh God, (laughs) early 90s. Um, He went to go get some cassette tapes that McAlphin had borrowed, and when he opened the door, Jane Doe was there pleading with him to talk to McAlphin, making it pretty clear that there was some sort of disagreement or something happening Mm -hmm. so she stepped out of the motel room towards the parking lot when McAlphin came rushing out past Menon he hit Jane Doe and said quote get back in the room bitch before pushing her down and dragging her back into the room there was more arguing that could be heard before a gunshot rang out and McAlphin then got into his car and sped away after a bit of searching, police were able to find McAlphin, and he was charged with first-degree murder and second-degree battery. And to this day, McAlphin continues to deny that he shot Jane Doe. Okay. Claiming instead that she had committed suicide. Of course. How convenient. Right. That's what she I was thinking. She fell on my gun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine? I would People actually have used that as a I'm defense. Sure, fell they on have. the gun. I can, on see, I can off. see the like there was a struggle, and the gun just went off. And but if it was old, just like it was, I was cleaning it, and it went off. Yeah, went yeah. Out. Or it, but like just a straight up like she fell on it. She fell on the gun. <laughs> so according to him, the uh, Huff Post also did an article or an article where they, or I'm sorry, an interview where they talked to McAlphin about the whole deal. Here's what he had to say. Quote, no murder occurred. She grabbed my gun and said she was going to kill herself. I thought she was fucking around because she had done that before. I told her, do us both a favor. And I heard a gunshot so loud that it still rings in my ears 24 years later. But it was pretty clear that, like, the evidence at it's like evidence the and stuff. scene <laughs> yeah, was not... Matching all up with that version of the event. All those people that heard them
1: screaming at each other, you know, right.
0: all that. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, instead of, like, calling 911, he left. That's what you do when someone commits suicide. You just leave. You just leave? It's Oh, dead. this whole time. I thought yeah. you, like, called 911. So he
1: right. He's like, well, they're dead oh, already, so it doesn't oh, even matter. My bad.
0: <laughs> uh, so... Finn wasn't much help to police beyond that, refusing to reveal Jane Doe's true identity. Oh, come on. So this is where <sighs> I'm like, this isn't your typical Jane Doe case where it was like a body that was found without any other information. Mm-hmm. He claims to know I her know true the true identity <laughs> yeah he claims to know her true identity i bet you he fucking doesn't part of me feels like he I doesn't feel like either he fucking doesn't probably For, another name that she gave right right <laughs> so he has only said that he had met her mother and sister and at one point and that they were originally from florida but in order to reveal this information that he knows, he is at, at, at least at the time was asking for $4,000 oh to uh, from police to reveal this information. Which I was like, okay, yeah, right, buddy, sure. I thought he's for sure gonna be like, and you have to release me from jail. <laughs> well, you're not gonna be super thrilled about what he got. Oh, but God. Yeah, just <laughs> preview of the future. <laughs> damn um, Yes, you can't destroy the new space yet. We've only been here <laughs> Just a day. Since her death, police have been able to find out about, the, about Jane Doe's past. Before ending up in El Dorado, she had spent the previous years residing in Dallas, Texas and then Shreveport, Louisiana and Little Rock, Arkansas. Authorities were also able to find a bit of an arrest record that dated back to 1990. And on December 31st, she was arrested as Cheryl Ann Wick for prostitution at La Casita Motel in Dallas. She was arrested again in Dallas on January 26, 1991, and then again on February 8th in Garland, Texas at the Carousel Motel for public lewdness. <laughs> And which it is, sounded like that was the full name. The Carousel Motel for, for public goodness. <laughs> I was like wow, Whoa, that's a I mouthful. Mean, at least you know what you'd be <laughs> know getting what if you're you paying you went there. for. <laughs> Her last arrest that they were able to find was in May in El Dorado, Arkansas for writing bad checks. There was talk of her potentially being involved in a bank robbery that I didn't include in here, (laughs) because after they had looked into it, they pretty much ruled her out of that. From her autopsy, Jane Doe was determined to be between 20 and 30 years old, and McAlphin eventually made a plea deal with prosecutors pleading guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for a 15-year sentence. Oh my god, Uh yeah of which he served off for 15 years from what i can tell And he's totally fine right but he of course has come out in like in that article article on the huff post he's like i went in when i was 26 and came out when i was 40 they took everything from me and i'm like
1: bullshit mm, but you also murdered a you murdered girl. someone and also you probably
0: didn't have jack shit before you went in there anyway because you were a pimp right <laughs> Right. And I believe at the time of the that the Huff Post did the interview with him, he was back in jail for domestic battery, I think. So I'm not concerned. He'll be in and out of jail the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, that's the impression that I get. <laughs> so that's really been the extent of what police have been able to find out until twenty nineteen when DNA evidence took the next leaps into the future. Mm-hmm. Of course. We've talked about it a lot on the show. <laughs> There's been I am. I I can't say I'm surprised, but I'm also kind of surprised by how this has <laughs> really taken off. It shouldn't have been hot girl summer. It should be
1: DNA summer. Yeah, that trademark DNA fine. summer. <laughs> that could also be
0: taken the wrong way. Like, mm. oh no. <laughs> the lead detective on the case, Detective Lieutenant Kathy Phillips, was able to use DNA to identify living relatives of Jane Doe.
1: Sweet.
0: Right. According to a follow up article from the HuffPost about the case, quote, Phillips said a genealogist she is working with had since identified uh, Doe's father as a descendant of Daniel Wood and Mamie Carter, who had nine children and lived in Virginia. What? Just names. so can- <laughs> Mamie. Yeah. Yes. It's a very <laughs> southern name. The couple is the great-grandparents of Christina Tilford, the Alabama woman whose DNA provided the first link in the case, end quote. Mm -hmm. So the living relatives were contacted. They were obviously, like, really skeptical. Like, Mm -hmm. there's not, like, this is a prank. Like, they thought it was a prank, basically. But after doing a little research, they reached out to investigators to provide any support that they could. Unfortunately, they don't recognize Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but have said that she does have a family resemblance. So there's a lot of reasons for that, um, that that could be. It could be that it is her, because it is her father's side of the family. Mm -hmm. She may have been like born out of wedlock and didn't know her father. So the family didn't know her Mm -hmm. Um, because she had gone missing. Maybe there wasn't like... They just didn't talk about it again? Because that happens, too, where it's like, it's just not something we bring up. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised that they were kind of like, yeah. I mean, it sucks because...
1: And I mean, think about it. She could have might she might have not even known either of her parents, right? Like she could have been given to another family member or up for adoption. Like
0: they don't know. Right. Yeah. And there are some, I did add some pictures down at the bottom. there. Yeah. I was just looking at those. Yeah. Um, Very nineties. So very nineties. So nineties. So I'm just going to leave you with the physical description along with your contact information. So the Eldorado Jane Doe is a white female aged 18 to 30. She is 5'10 to 5'11 tall and 150 to 162 pounds. At the time of her death, her hair was brown and nine inches long, although it had previously been bleached blonde dyed, as you can tell from those pictures. Mm-hmm. She had blue eyes, and she also had a small birthmark or scar beneath her left breast, freckles, and three piercings in her right ear and two in her left ear. Very 90s. <laughs> Super 90s. Um, for more information on the Eldorado Jane Doe, please visit the Doe Network at org and search case number 81UFAR. If you have any information regarding the identity of the Eldorado Jane Doe, please contact Lieutenant Kathy Phillips of the Eldorado Police Department at 870-881-4810. If you'd like to submit an anonymous tip, you can call the Eldorado Crime Stoppers at 1 870 863 4636. Excellent. <laughs> uh, if you are searching for a new podcast to listen to, for your missing podcast, <laughs> for your Jane Doe podcast. Wait. (laughs) Um, Anyway, just check out this podcast.
1: (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Ashley. And I'm Justine. And And we make up the Cutaways Cutaways podcast. podcast. We're watching the good, the bad, and the essentials of the romantic comedy genre. So far, we've fallen in love with Cary Grant, met up with our terrible friend, pal Joey, and had the desire to run our fingers through Patrick Dempsey's hair. Join our slumber party for your ears every other week brought to you in stereo from our blanket fort in Hollywood, California. You can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Our digital blanket fort can be found at thecutaways.com. If you are the social butterfly types, you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Podcast. Bye! <laughs> it's just like half in the door, half I out know.
0: the door. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> That's our show. We've been joined at the end of the show by our resident kitten. Resident podcast Literally, cat. Resident podcast Podcat. cat Agro. She just wants to come say hi. Agro can finish out the show for us, say I think. Say hello. <laughs> wow. yes. Awesome. Um so we don't have any reviews this week. No. Which is fine. And we've we've done we've done our events for for, now. for this year. Yeah. But I will say we will probably be doing stuff next year. Yeah, we just so keep um, an eye out. We just got contacted about a really interesting <clears throat> spooky opportunity mm-hmm. that we may bring to you guys. Yes, and, um, I'm,
1: and I'm hoping we can do some more stuff with Haunted Rockford. Yes. Um, so definitely keep an eye out on our social media and our website to see what we have coming up for 2020. Ugh, God, I hate
0: saying that. <laughs> it's already the end of the year. <laughs> I know. I know. We have to look forward Cast the that worst was. year
1: ever that's coming yeah. up in
0: 2020. If you guys have never listened to the Worst Year Ever podcast, please do. Mm-hmm. It's great. I've been trying to convince Vicki to, to start a political a, podcast which is for next idea. year. Terrible I think idea. we should do it.
1: Send terrible. us your opinions should we have a political podcast for 2020. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to change the subject just gonna bow out i going just gonna change the subject now <laughs> and say that if you
0: want to support the show you can go to our website patreoncast.com where you will find pages to donate to our patreon.
1: <laughs> I thought that was a question.
0: Or <laughs> oh was it? It sounded oh, like it. You're like donate? I'm just trying to vary my inflection. <laughs> very nice. So that it's not all vocal it's very fry. Varied. <laughs> I want to fry yes, all um, the time. <laughs> um you can also check out our merch there. We got a little merch link for some t-shirts and sweatshirts and Hollenberg. mugs yeah going into this cold season you're gonna need something to keep you warm on the inside also christmas
1: yeah sorry the cat's <laughs> licking me
0: it's fine i know we're in total after like, episode love it, but, uh. cat mode. <laughs> um well on that note <laughs> our sound and editing is by tiff Fullman. our music is by jason zakshavsky the enigma <laughs> uh This has been the Bad Taste Crime Cast, we'll signing see in off to Meow Weeks Meow. <laughs> to Meow Weeks <wings>, Meow. <laughs> Good Meow! <laughs> Murdered 10 young women have left their bodies on the
1: hillsides along the highway. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil some form or another.